Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode number 93. And we're getting towards the end of the year. And with that, I wanted to thank you all for your time and the interest you show for this podcast. There's so many podcasts out there, and I'm pretty grateful that you're all, all willing to listen to mine, along with surely many other podcasts on your playlist. I personally get great pleasure out of listening to podcasts myself. They guide me on my longer rides and runs and allow me to get a little lost in thought and learning every day. Often I return from training and need to reset to the world that I'm re-entering because of the depth or the commentary or the deep discussion that was happening in those podcasts. It's surely a unique way to learn these days. Some have asked me if I listen to books while I bike and run. I actually have a harder time doing this because there's so many notes I take when I read that listening while out on the trail or on my bike makes me constantly want to pause for notes or bookmark that section so I can listen to it again and again. So then I'm back to square one that I might as well just read it. Most of the books I read are quite profound and thought-provoking for me at least. And so in order for me to listen while I'm biking and running, it gets, it gets overwhelming. I, can, I have to rewind and reset and listen properly and think about, wait, what, what was that? Because I often wander off in thought. I actually grabbed a novel the other day from the library. What was it? Um, the Art of Fielding. And it's pretty good. And I'm quite intrigued by just listening to a story. And I've even thought maybe that's what I should listen to while I'm out there cycling and running. But then I feel somewhat guilty as there's so many fascinating conversations happening on all the different podcasts I listen to and they start piling up on my shuffle. Yes, I listen to a shuffle. I don't like to take my phone with me when I work out. Um, just be tempted by emails and texts and, and notifications is, is too much. So on all my runs, I pretty much leave my phone at home. Sure, I mean, if I'm going out five, six, seven hours on a trail run, I have it with me in my backpack or in my pack, but most runs, I leave it at home. And on the, on the bike, it's in a little baggie in my jersey, and it is off. Not off, off, but on um, airplane mode or at least muted. So then I ever never end up listening to books anyways, because again, I want to catch up and stay current on so many good podcasts where, you know, you, you download them onto your shuffle and then you see what you're downloading or putting on your shuffle and you get excited to what you want to listen to. And if I go a few days or sometimes even weeks without having longer rides or runs because I'm either resting or my workouts are shorter or I'm sick or the smoke that came up a few weeks ago here in Northern California. Man, I have so much to catch up on on my podcast. It just sits there pending, waiting for me to listen to it. It's pretty frustrating. And so with that, despite all that, you are listening to the Weekly Word podcast. And I'm honored that you're choosing to listen to that podcast along with all the other things that you listen to. And it's 100% my intention, intention to add value to your day when you're listening to my podcast. Value in helping you navigate your daily life while enjoying, enjoying this endurance lifestyle. How to remain steady, balanced in this training despite the pressure of work, career, and family. 
especially at this time of year during the holidays. I actually plan a specific podcast to the, this topic next week regarding the holidays and how to navigate our way through it. I was looking at some of my athlete plans the other, uh, just this morning, the other day, yesterday and this morning, and I noticed our focus is mainly to get to January 7th. That's when kids go back to school. That's when we kick out of the holiday season, right? And I think it starts December 22nd. So those two-ish weeks, a little bit more than two weeks that we're trying to navigate through the holidays, navigate through travel or family or um, family occasions and get-togethers and parties and, you know, stress, sure, but also a disruptive schedule. So what's the focus of that next podcast? How to get to January 7th, somewhat unscathed, somewhat connected to fitness. So I read something that stuck with me last week. It was applied actually towards motivation, but I like to do it, liked it due to it being applicable about what we talk about here on the Weekly Word podcast. As we think about how to balance family and career and this endurance lifestyle, reading how one would want to change a narrative from if then to now that, I found that very helpful. That's what the, the, the what I read was about. If then um, being a constant narrative for most people, but how we would want to try to change it to now that. It was regard to motivation again and rewards and so forth. And why do I think that really stuck with me? As we try to do what we're capable of in the now, you know, who we are now, what we have time for now, what our current potential is, I find it helpful to be fully present in the thing we're doing right now. At work, feel good and feel focused that we're in work. Dive into it, apply yourself. Try to be our best at work. Not worrying about later on today with family or a workout or an errands list or stopping by the store or doing this or doing that, but applying ourselves right here, right now, our best version of ourselves or close to it, right? We can't always be the best version of ourselves, but you know, being aware of it at work, what we're doing in the now. And then by not worrying about later on today, because once you're with them, your family in this case, you'll be fully present with them as well as with your training later on today or earlier this morning. That is where I tie in the now that. Now that I'm done with that workout, I can focus and fully apply myself to work. Now that I'm home from work, I can focus on this working out or my training since I left the best solid version of myself at work. I feel good about putting that behind me and fully diving into this training or my next interest or my family or this art project or this community service or this coaching at my little league, whatever it is. Now that I am home from work, now that I have completed this workout, now that X is done, I can do this. It's a liberating feeling. In some cases, I do a lot of this in my coaching. Many athletes ask me, well, what, when are we going to get to this? Or how come I'm not doing that type of training? Or shouldn't I be doing this? 
But I change that often to um, a more inclusive type of conversation. Now that you have completed this phase of your training, we can dive deeper into whatever. That sounds much better than if then. If then, which seems more threatening, pressured, right? If you complete this phase of training, then we can move on to that. I'd rather have you stay focused on this phase of training, where you are right now, doing it really well, trusting that there's a process and a future growth that we, I as coach, you as athlete, are working towards together so that when you're done with this phase, we can have that now that conversation. Now that you've finished this phase of core, let's integrate the core with this new phase of strength. Now that you've completed the base training, let's move to the specificity needed for your A race. Now that we've worked on some technique in your swimming, we can start increasing the volume again in order to allow your fitness to integrate with the new technique that you found. There's a lot of now that conversation that that feels better, feels more complete, feels more, um, uh, it feels like we have, can can attach more pride around it and accomplishment, excuse me, um, around it versus if you do this, then you will do that. Then you'll get to do this, right? Now that you've done it, There's a sense of pride and accomplishment and achieving goals and motivation there versus uh, sort of the carrot stick aspect, right? Of if you do this, then you will have the privilege to do the next phase of training. Again, it's, it's a different type of reward system and one and the if then I feel oftentimes motivation runs out. It's, um, it, it can quickly wear us down. Well, if you do this type of training, then you will be allowed to move on. And that's what I try to avoid. I'd rather have you, and many of you have felt this as my athletes, and many of you have heard me talk about this on this podcast, on I'd rather you just be in this phase of training, do our best and trust and believe and see that you are gradually getting to a point that you will then feel and observe and notice and intrinsically know that you're ready for the next phase of training so that we together can have that now that conversation. Which brings me to our first topic that I wanted to talk about this week, and that is doing your best. I call it, you can't be more than your schedule, right? What I mean by that is, and I of course dive into it, but we have our schedule. It is our life and constantly thinking about what we could be doing or how that would be nice or having sort of a negative mindset towards um, our current schedule and what we'd rather be doing is, 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 a, very defeating, but B, takes a lot of energy and wears us down as well. So I dive into that as well. Doing your best, you can't be more than your schedule. 
I talk a little bit about, a, not a little bit, I go into a sample race plan for a 70.3 Indian Wells was this past week, and I um, wanted to dive into what I look for in a race plan that an athlete sends me prior to the race. And finally, I finish with the fog of fatigue. So many of us don't realize how fatigued we are, and we're in this constant fog, not realizing how tired we are, and a couple good nights sleep, and the importance of sleep, and recovery, and rest, and rejuvenation. So enjoy this week, and thank you. Thank you for listening. We can't really be more than who we are. I get a lot of emails and questions from athletes talking about how they missed some training or that this week was really busy or that they had travel or that other obligations came up. And what I always like to respond is that you can't be more than your schedule allows. You're doing your best, right? And so we need to pull back on that I wouldn't call it as much guilt as it is with that feeling that we're not um, achieving or putting our best, best foot forward. Most of us, again, are choosing to do this ultra endurance sport event adventure training, right? And so there are moments every day where we have to make choices between all right, do I get in that workout now or do I need to do this for work or am I, do I need to get this done for my family? Now, of course, many of us have a structure in place so that let's say we get our workouts in in the morning and then we carry on with our day. But not all of us, A, have the opportunity for that structure because life has too many shifting demands but also even in that structure, things can get knocked out of um, balance. Sick children keeping you up at night, you being unhealthy or sick, um, travel, uh, different obligations, morning phone calls, late night projects or phone calls, so forth. So the structure can get upset, imbalanced. But again, we're choosing to do this right? For many of you, many of my athletes, many of you listening, this isn't a question of commitment, um, discipline, well, in some cases, discipline, I don't want to jump into the discipline train, but commitment, interest, desire to do it. So as we progress with the training, your ability to put your best foot forward, to do your best, given your schedule, to improve, given your schedule, not improve in your performance and in your training, but maybe improve in your ability to prioritize your um, focuses of the day. Let's say the focuses of the day being, okay, work, check, family, check, training, check. If it falls into those three baskets, I'm good. I don't feel any type of guilt or not putting my best foot forward. Um, but of course, if there's other things that keep sneaking into it and those don't fit into those three buckets, then it's something worth discovering or looking deep closer at or maybe planning differently or setting up a different structure. But again, many athletes reach out with, I didn't get this in this week or I wasn't able to do that or please let's just reset from here. 
Again, there's two things in that. That is one, looking at how we can create the priorities better. And two, knowing that you're trying your best. So your best might only mean three workouts this week. Your best might mean that you have to skip a bunch of training. That's fine. It's our best. It's all we can do. I said to an athlete the other day, um, when life gets really busy, and, and you all have heard me talk about wedge weeks, but also from a different perspective, when life gets really busy or training gets really busy and you, the athlete, haven't had the opportunity or aren't familiar yet with the process of reaching out to me and helping you structure your week live in the week, saying, hey, today I missed this, tomorrow I'm going to do this, I have time for that, let me, and then I can help you adjust. I often say, my training for those six days a week, seven days a week, those 10 workouts, those five workouts, whatever it is, is a menu. And you can draw from that menu for what works for today. And you have, let's say, a a list for that week of 10 workouts to pull from that I've given you for the week. Ideally, I wanted it in a certain structure and a certain format. But because life is getting in the way, there you are. Just pull from that menu. The only uh, structure I look for, just like any menu with appetizers and main entree and dessert, is that we stay focused on what discipline we haven't done in the longest amount of time. But even that gets thrown out the window, right? Let's say maybe today isn't a pool day. Or let's say today it's pouring rain so you can't ride your bike. Or let's say, you know, there's so many factors that go into training. So use the menu. Pull down, pull out of the menu what works for you today, what you're in the mood for today. You're getting something in. You're putting forth um, an effort to continue on with this training. And there will be two, three-day stretches where things really get in the way. I got another email from an athlete the other day that they sort of fell off the train as they described it. But the fun part was is that they said, yeah, but I made a very strong commitment not to miss two days in a row. That's awesome, right? So while life was busy and he's moving and he's traveling, and so there's a lot change and and things going on in his life with regards to personal turmoil at least he said you know what despite all that i'm going to make sure i don't miss two days in a row again he pulled from the menu did what he needed to do understood the structure of the week and said okay these are clearly high priority workouts these are sort of just maintenance workouts and so forth and he made it work right of course not ideally in the volume that we're looking for but staying connected, and getting through it. All this endurance training will not work if we stay too tightly wound on getting 100% compliance. It's not going to work. You know, 80% is awesome, 90% is amazing, but a lot of this is how do I navigate through my week and still progress my fitness forward? We've talked about on this podcast of... What do I want to be on December 31st versus November 30th? Who do I want to be as an athlete and a fitness perspective and progressing towards my goals of the summer on January 31st or 30th, whatever it is, um, versus December 31st? And, you know, big picture, how am I moving forward? Am I a better athlete? Am I better prepared at the end of this month or today than I was last month? If yes, good. 
That's, I mean, that's sort of the basic steps. And the beauty is, as Masters athletes, we're not required at June 1 to have our best possible performance of our entire lives. No. We do our best. We try to get there, get there as fit as possible, as close to our potential as possible. And guess what? There's another event. There's another way to validate our training. There's more growth ahead of us. There is so much time with regards to continuing to improve and achieving what we believe we are capable of as long as we set those time expectations. It's when we try to force ourselves, force that fitness, force those expectations, force those results, that placing, that standing, whatever, into a tight window and life gets in the way. That's when things start compounding negatively. And we don't enjoy the training the same way. We force ourselves. I got to, right? It's got to be something. The training is most effective if it's something we enjoy. And in these busy times, especially now during the holidays, it is about, okay, this is my time. Let me exhale and figure out, take a few minutes here, take two, three minutes, look at my schedule and what can I do today? I'm already, it's two in the afternoon. I've been running around all day. I've been working or I've been, you know, under other stress or load or family or commitments or whatever. What can I do today? All right. Um, I didn't get that in. All right. Well, maybe I'll go for this run. Okay. I see that run there. I'll take that run, put that in today. And then after the run or while I'm running, I'll think about the rest of my day or the rest of my week or rest of my weekend and sort of structure the workouts around it. Because Again, that's just your best foot forward. You're trying. I realize that. You're trying to do your best, right? Now, there's a caveat in there that I always have to throw out there, and that is some athletes like to sabotage themselves, like to sabotage their mindset, like to sabotage their training. And that's a different perspective. And I bring that up here so that those athletes that are putting their best foot forward, and I want them to release that guilt or that overwhelming feeling that they're not getting it all done, like as if they're disappointing me or something. Um, I want you all to see that there's the other end of the spectrum. And that is athletes, people, for lack of a better description, not trying to just sort of broadly swipe at it like that, but um, who, despite um, having intentions, and despite having desired outcomes, they just don't want to take the steps to do the work or they really don't want to do the work and they're just sort of going through the motions or looking for excuses not to do it or truly don't have a personal connection to their outcome, right? They say they want to do a marathon, but not really. They're just sort of doing it or they signed up for it at the time or want some sort of validation around it. That's not really training that they're doing based off of what I see they're doing and how they're approaching it. They're just sort of like, well, I'm doing this because I heard it's supposed to be um, a good way to lose weight or it's a good way to force myself to get into better shape. That's a different story. But most of you, that's not you. You're looking for how do I navigate through my busy life through a variety of priorities and still achieve my endurance and ultra endurance desired outcomes. And it can be done. 
It absolutely can be done. I get validation every day of how athletes in some amazing ways still get most of their training done. Now, of course, I have a few athletes that get it all done. But again, that's their life schedule and that's where they are currently. I had a conversation yesterday with an athlete like, yeah, you can continue to compare yourself to other athletes, but that's not going to work very well in the long term because you're constantly going to realize that many of the athletes you're training and competing against or training um, want to compare your training to, they have a lot more time than you. They have a different job than you. They don't have kids or they only have one child or they have, you know, teenagers that are older and therefore as adults they have more time to train for themselves or they have a wife that does this i mean there's a zillion scenarios and if we compare ourselves in our training to others it gets very complicated very complicated because the result is that you never feel like you're doing enough there is always somebody better stronger fitter and has more time or the results or it makes it look like so perfect instead what am i doing am i getting better how am i progressing from yesterday how am i putting my best foot forward how am i completing my day so that i feel fulfilled not fulfilled in this great enlightened way but that you know what i had a pretty solid day I got done what I needed to get done. And look, I even have some extra time tonight to reflect or to think or to fill up my training journal, right? But yeah, I I answered a few emails like that yesterday with regards to just try to do your best. Understand you are doing your best. And our best is, you know, that often comes with comparison, that judgment. And what I mean by that is is that if we think we're not complying with 100% of the schedule, it's like, well, I I believe others are or all of Chris's athletes are or, you know, no, that's not the case. You know, most of them are also struggling or barely navigating through the schedule and are surely not at 100% compliance. And so when you aren't as the athlete or whether you're my athlete or not, and you're looking at it, understand that, you know what, I am doing my best. I can look myself in the mirror and feel really good about, you know what, I, I really tried today. And whether today is, if it was crappy because life got in the way, I'm going to make a commitment that tomorrow I'm going to find some time. And that's how that works. And those layers and that repetition and that mindset and that step by step, one foot forward after the other, drip by drip will make an will make the difference the difference i said not a difference the difference because already your routine and perspective and mindset towards that improvement is going to have a long lasting effect because layer upon layer habit repetitive habit will make a huge difference okay let's try this again we have uh, Indian Wells 70.3 this weekend. So I have one, two, three, four race plans in my email here. And so uh, I will anonymously go through one of them. Again, to give uh, sort of an insight, a sample, a comparison, 
the knowledge of what to look for, and maybe how you can write a detailed, well-executed um, race plan. And what I mean by well-executed is that you feel good about how to let the race flow for the day, how you can take charge at certain points, how you can deal with adversity, but also how um, you can take the sort of architecture, the um, skeleton, excuse me, of what you already plan to do or what you almost intrinsically know what to do and fill in the gaps to keep you um, on point and within your strategy throughout the day, five, six, seven hours of racing versus just occasionally. So that's sort of how I look at a race plan. For me, when I do my racing, I rate the skeleton out first. I write outcomes, intentions, how I envision the day. And sometimes it's not even a skeleton with regards to um, amount of words. It's often quite um, visual and there's a lot of detail that I write out. And then as I sort of am writing it out, I sort of pick out, okay, clearly this is the theme and this is how I envision myself doing it. Because for some reason, my subconscious already knows not how I'm going to do, but what I honestly, without ego or without um, false hopes, um, intend to do um, or what's realistic to do. So... Um, as I write it out and I, as I go through the, the details of writing out that plan and how I envision it, it, the day unfolding, oftentimes the paces and what I fear with regards to when the pace will drop off or fatigue will kick in will display themselves in the words and on the paper or on the screen if I'm writing it on a computer. So from there then I go backwards and I write into these details of um, more of a simple flow of how I see the day going. Bullet points that aren't really bullet points in my mind. I write them out as bullet points, but they're pretty fluid, seamless progression through the day from swim to strategy to pacing to what I think I'm going to feel like to how hot I'll get in the wetsuit or if I'm going to have to rip my cap off because I'm overheating and then what the last four or five hundred yards will feel like and getting out of the water and beach and sand or concrete and running through transition <clears throat> and all the sensations of that. Ooh, sorry about that. That was <clears throat> my throat. So, and then I, I continue to flow through the day like that with wattages and how the risers will feel and the hills will feel and the downhills will feel on the bike. And then what wattage ranges I give myself when I get tired and what floors I'll create with a wattage perspective. Like I will not in that section let it fall below this <clears throat> or overall for the day I will not allow the watts to go here and with negative thoughts and questioning myself and what my counter argument in my self-talk will be or justification or knowing that it will come that negative self-talk or those negative um, voices knowing that I have a counter argument that I have a, a real good conversation already before the race of why I'm doing it and what my desired outcome is and so forth. So there's a lot that you can prep for a race if you properly have all those conversations, have that vision, have written it out and really worked your way through it.
And it's not just executing blindly on a plan, whether I give that to you or your coach gives that to you or you even hear it here, because those are just words on a piece of paper. That's the skeleton. But the emotions that you're going to run into and the things out of your control and the adversity and the things that you are not expecting, those are the ones that you need to be prepared for or at least have a sort of contingency plan on how you'll treat it with regards to panic, with regards to negative emotions, with regards to outcomes. Because if you think of it this way, yes, I got two flats on my bike, and then I never really got back my rhythm on the bike, and then I was sort of <clears throat> way back in the age group and I was deflated. Yes, that can happen, totally. But in prep, for that happening, I also know that I'm going to have the best, absolute best possible run I can have, that I'll then want to PR the run. And then as these things are happening on the bike, I'm already fueling and hydrating and prepping my body and my mind so that when I get through that transition and I cross that mat to start the time, I am ready to suffer and push and win back a huge positive of the day, right? So I am going to pull something positive out of this race, whether that's my best half marathon ever, whether that's you know some sort of section, some sort of outcome that we can still take back control and take back a, a positive outcome for the race. So race plans, so here we are. Um, Chris, uh, pre-race. Um, we'll eat a good solid breakfast with about a thousand calories. Now this athlete is familiar with me. He's been working with me for a while, so he knows what he needs. He's tested it a variety of times. He's done um, Ironman training with me. He's done um, a couple of 70.3s and he's getting ready for a 50 miler in the spring as well. So we know each other with regards to having simulated and having tried different things. He's also worked with Emily with regards to nutrition and ensuring that he's got everything going correctly and properly and in balance and um, energy and fuel resources for race day. And so he knows that he needs about a thousand calories. Um, I will probably, when I get back to him on this email, say, just be careful. Don't overstuff yourself. Don't sit there staring at the food and force it down, right? We don't want to do that because that will cause that extra layer on top of in our stomach that's just going to feel awkward and uncomfortable and overly full. And then doing rigorous activity on it, swimming, biking, running, increases the likelihood, I'm not saying it will, but it increases the likelihood that we will have some um, distress. And that could be in, in a lot of shapes and forms on how that distress unfolds. Um, some granola with fruit, toast with peanut butter and banana, and a few turkey slices or smoked salmon. That I can take a picture of. That is a phenomenal breakfast. It's got um, a variety of options and um, variety, excuse me, a variety of variety. <laughs> um, it's got a little bit of protein, not like eggs, but some turkey slices or salmon, super easy on the stomach, super effective, super lean, not a lot of um, um, questionable 
or increased likelihood of concern. Eggs do that. Turkey slice or salmon does not. So that's good. Toast with peanut butter and banana, super. Some fats and some uh, everything in there. Then <clears throat> the granola and fruit and just a slow burning energy source and all of it there. I love it. Swim. And the last race has been 30, the last races, excuse me, has been 33 to 36 minutes. Going to try and come in in just under 33. Would like to be out of swim and through transition by 35 to 36 minutes. All right. So specific plan, right? And yes, don't forget, I have talked about on um, past podcasts about trying to not put ourselves too much into a box with numbers, right? And so that if he goes north of 33, will he be disappointed? I know this athlete. I know he won't be. I know he'll take it in stride. I know he stays within the game and within his day and within his progression and within knowing that he still has many hours left to influence his outcome, that he will not mess, um, that it will not mess with him if he comes in with a 34. I spoke to an athlete today on his post Ironman Arizona debrief, and he was totally deflated from his swim. He's like, what am I doing here? And why am I even racing and all that? Whoa, like that's the exact opposite of what we want, right? We don't want uh, the swim, which is such a minuscule part of our day to deflate us and take all that energy away from us. Now, you know, if you swim three, four, five minutes too slow on an Ironman swim, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes too slow on an Ironman swim, you have like 11 more, 12 more hours to make up 10 minutes, I think you'll be fine. So the swim is nothing to deflate us. Again, the swim in a triathlon is a means to an end. It's for a purpose to get you from the starting gun to your bike. Can you win the race with a fast swim? No. Can you lose the race and deflate yourself and create a negative energy? Yes. So instead, get through the swim. I say the goal for a lot of athletes of mine, because they're not going to be swimmers, swimmers. No, no matter how much work we do is like we've talked about before is to get through the swim, maybe even faster than before my coaching. But in order to get through it, using the same amount of energy, or maybe even less energy, but still swimming faster. That's a good sign of fitness and efficiency, right? So you've been swimming a lot of yards with me, and now you're going to put forth the same effort that you usually do swimming, and it's going to net you a faster time. That is not the real estate yet to put forth a big effort in order to show your fitness progression or progress in, in, in all the swimming you've done. Um, a 70.3 or an Ironman swim is not the place to do that. There's plenty of open water swims and other opportunities where we can throw some caution to the wind and just let her rip and see, right? But not when it's an important race or a, an important outcome where there's many hours left relatively to that two minutes that you might buy on the swim. So, all right, so we're off on the swim here. Um, all right, so get through transition in th- by 35, 36 again. Um, he's creating an image in his head in order to get to the transition quite quickly because if he's out of the water and just under 33, right, 32 something, maybe 33 low, now he's got like two, three minutes to get through transition, wetsuit off, you know, bike stuff on, through change tent, get to the bike, stuff wetsuit in bag, put shoes on, put helmet on, put glasses on, like 
that's that's aggressive. So again, I will talk to him about that and make sure he knows the flow of transition on what lies ahead of him and he realistically thinks through it um, before, again, setting expectations. Like if he's out and out of T1 in 38, but he still swam a, you know, a good swim, well, it might be a long transition. It might be a soggy one, you know, where your shoes get stuck in the, in the, um, grass and so then you got to run in your bare feet because you don't want your cleats filled with mud and before you even get to the bike so that you then can't clip in right so then you got to run with your shoes and then you got to put them on there or your socks there and have a towel near your bike or something like that in order to not put on muddy soggy shoes of feet in your shoes or socks like it gets complicated so again know your transition know your event know what's lying ahead of you and the other thing to keep in mind here is too, like the beauty of a lot of these races, well, especially Ironman, but maybe with this one, I'm not sure if they're dropping the stuff off the day before. The day before, you just go through the motions. So to time yourself how long it takes you casually to shuttle jog through the transition. You know, you've gotten this far. You've trained a fair amount of months and to do a variety of different 70.3s or an Ironman to take an extra five minutes and go to transition and just jog through it. Like go under the swim start banner or swim finish banner and start an easy jog from there, sort of rolling through where you think your bag will be. or And then you grab that and you run sort of easy through the tent, maybe walk through the tent and then come out the other side of the tent and start a jog from there to your where your bike is or where you're racking it. And then jog from there easy, all this easy and slow. And then out the bike exit and see what that takes. And then you can sort of say, all right, well, on an easy jog without the craziness of race day and people there and my bike and putting stuff on and so on, it took me this long. And so then you get a good idea of the length and time that it might take. And so you, again, just to create an atmosphere, a confidence, a familiarity, uh, sort of a, a, a movement and a flow through these transitions. There's two of them. I see athletes that take seven, eight, ten minutes getting through these transitions, right? And then <laughs> this is the part that that makes me sort of laugh, but it's a little frustrating and, and confusing, right? Because I'll have athletes that'll sit down and transition and drink or take their time, take seven, eight minutes, nine minutes, even longer, some of them in transition, right? But yet they'll be like, well, should I breathe every third while I'm swimming? And how hard should I? I'm like, I don't want. You wasted four minutes in transition and you're talking about 30 seconds in swimming. You wasted four minutes in transition and you're looking to do what while you're running? Like in order to make you maybe three seconds, five seconds faster per mile? Like take the low hanging fruit. Take the easy minutes, like three minutes in the first transition, three minutes in the second transition faster, six easy minutes. Now we're talking back to this guy who's looking for a 33 swim. Well, if he, you know, takes two minutes faster in transition, if he were a slow transition guy, but two minutes faster in this and two minutes faster that, that's four minutes. Now he can swim 35 and he's still equivalent of a 31 that he usually would have in time with regards to transition and total time. So choose your flow and choose how you're going to find your minutes. And this is a very easy way. 
All right, let's see it. Keep looking here. Um, bike. We'll start off with a steady rhythm and focus on 130 heart rate, mid zone three to warm up for the first 10 miles. Then work to accelerate and build to 135 for the next 10 miles and then build based on feel. All right, well, that might be hard to do. So my commentary back to him will be like, you just ran, you just swam, went from uh vertical uh, horizontal then you jumped up put all the blood to your legs now you're running through transition trying to make this you know t1 time of very tight that you already have a time goal with and now you're going to try to get on your bike after just running with your bike now you're jumping on your bike now you're riding your bike there's a lot of people around you you're pretty amped up and now you're going to try to settle in to 130 heart rate that's going to take you a, a few miles unless you're totally coasting, unless you're totally going easy. So again, don't set the parameters too tight here. I will give him a range, a big range of heart rate, like 10 beats and sort of give it 10 miles to fall below a certain plateau and then combine that with the sensations feel RPE and then work to accelerate and not necessarily accelerate, but gradually build the heart rate to the next range, not zone, right? Because we don't want to go a full zone and zone four might be a little bit challenging. Although, you know, Indian Wells here, La Quinta is a super flat course. I think there's like, you know, 150 feet of climbing total. I mean, maybe a little bit more, but the point here is that it, it'll be easy to gradually shift a few gears, bring up that, uh, that cadence and start working quite solidly. And, you know, you'll be on the edge of upper zone three and low zone four, which I want him to do for the last race of the season to really put all of his fitness chips all in and no, not use them all at once but really ensure that we're constantly testing the edge of what we feel is possible with regards to fitness, but also finding out what we're capable of. Last races of the season like this are great for peeling back a layer of what we feel we're capable of doing. I thought I was this type of a athlete. I thought when I hit this type of uncomfortableness, um, pain threshold, not really pain, but you know, it hurts. It's you're just you feel you're getting too tired, too muscularly fatigued, fatigued is the better word, and that you should pull back. Well, there might be a layer below there that you actually can withstand that you can actually maintain, but you've never tested it before, because you've backed away, you've stopped approaching the sun and instead turned around. Well, maybe you can push a little bit closer to the sun. Maybe you can stare at that sun a little bit longer to see what you're capable of. And that's what last races of the season are good for, as well as flat races like this. Now, I have a feeling there's going to be a ton of drafting in this race, just because it's flat and fast of a race. It's early in the morning, the winds probably won't pick up that much. So it's just going to be a a festival of movement through this course and movement of big packs. But because um, I'm looking here at the bike course, it looks to be uh, it's one loop, which is good. But you know, there's some out and backs and all that allows for um, drafting. Uh, because the out and backs, you know, it breaks up the draft groups for a bit, but nothing. 
too dramatic because it's, you know, they stay together. They can see who's coming, who's not coming, the motorcycles. It's just, so anyway, that being said, if you're going to be stuck in with draft packs around you or on the back end of draft packs and frustrated or annoyed by them, you might as well put forth an effort on your own um, or part of the course that you feel really good about having pushed the edge and having tried to peel back that extra layer. Now, what will happen with drafting and always does, and this is a side note, is that you know, you're not going to be able to usually pull away from them. They're too big of a group and their momentum and their speed and switching off and stuff. It's frustrating. So you can either fall off and coast for a while, but then you often end up because of the dynamics of the back end, catching them and then being stuck again. Or you can just go quite hard for 10, 15 minutes. Like you set your watch and say, all right, I'm going to ride X effort or X heart rate or X watts for the next 12 minutes and see what that nets me. And especially on a flat course, that might be an option. But And then you're in different terrain, different dynamics. Maybe you feel differently. You feel better about backing off a bit. It just puts you in a different frame of mind with regards to how to deal with the packs. So anyway, back to (laughs) the race plan. I thought this was going to just be a quick little thing. Um, Then work to accelerate and build one for the next 10 10 miles and then build based on fuel. Now, I talk a lot about this with my my athletes and I will eventually break it down in in a longer podcast. But yes, a rising heart rate is, on a flat course especially, and a half Ironman, the ideal heart rate race plan. Now, you need to know your heart rate's pretty well, have trained with your zones pretty accurately, have recently tested or feel good about knowing your numbers. And what I mean by that, that is where you're riding along and you know based off your effort that you're within one or two or three beats of X heart rate. And then you look down and it's validated. And that you're, you know your effort level so well that you put a little bit of force or effort on the pedals and next thing you know, you see that you click them up by three, four, five beats, right? The heart rate. So when you're that connected to your heart rate and your sensations, that's where a rising heart rate line and effectively going by feel as well as validation of the screen of what the heart rate is, Um, nets you usually a pretty consistent bike speed throughout the course. A flat heart rate line means a dropping speed, right? Because early on, the heart rate at a certain level nets you a a certain speed. Later on, uh, the same heart rate because of fatigue nets you a lower speed. So to circumvent that, to counter that, you want a rising heart rate to keep a steady speed. But again, that doesn't work just um, as black and white that I can say it's a rule. But once you know your cycling skills and your heart rate numbers and your abilities pretty well, and you've trained it also, we um, do that quite frequently. When I say quite frequently, maybe once every six weeks, where we do rising heart rate or rising wattage bike rides. And um, Again, for purposes of of simulation, of pacing, of sensation, of learning, of numbers, all that. So, um, 
Alright, after that bottle, plan is to have three to four cliff bars. Whoa! Um, he's looking to bike around three hours, so three to four cliff bars um, is on the high end. Probably four, as I would like to eat a little bit more on the bike than the past, so I'm more full going into the run. Um, I will advise him to be careful there. Stick the three. Um, get those all in. That's plenty, along with some pH that he's having. Um, precision hydration drink. Um so that he was um, that he doesn't overdo it because you know you can quickly tip the scales there and be stuck having eaten a little bit too much burpee um, GI likelihood issues stuff like that so you know let's maybe instead of go to four maybe complete three see where you are see how you feel and maybe have another half with versus a full another one. Um, 24 ounces of water an hour. Okay, that's good. I will fill two water bottles with pH 1000. Drink one starting at about 30 minutes into the ride. After that bottle, we'll drink water, regular water from aid station, then second pH bottle, then another bottle from aid station. My goal is to do the ride in three hours. That's about 80 minutes. Um, I'm wondering 24 ounces of water an hour and then two bottles of pH, that I'll have to check with him because that would make it, um, you know, uh, 75 ounces of water plus another 50, 45-ish ounces of drink. I mean, that might get a little bit too much, five bottles. Um, drink one starting at about 30 minutes into the ride. I'm thinking that's pH. After that bottle, we'll drink regular water from aid station. So I will have to clarify that, but my guidance there will be three solid bottles of water or sports drink, whatever, three bottles, however you mix the sports drink in, um, the electrolyte drink in, the sodium, and then maybe a little bit more because it's the desert and you might need a little bit more fluids. Three hours, I would probably want him 75 to 85 ounces of drink. Um, yeah, so that's about 25 an hour. Again, it should be just right. Now, keep in mind there, after the swim, I will. I always recommend to wait about 20, 30 minutes before starting to drink, 20 minutes. Just let everything settle on the bike before you start asking it to absorb fluids and calories. So now we're talking if he's biking three hours-ish and we wait 20-ish minutes, so it's two and a half hours of drinking. So there, yes, we would want to be closer to 75, 70 ounces of water or drink. So three bottles is plenty. Run. We'll have a 14 to 16 ounce bottle of water with pH and transition bag and a cliff bar. We'll take these on the run. Okay. We'll also have gels to take on the run. Wow, he's carrying a lot for a half Ironman um, for an hour and a half run. I'm going to put on the short over the bike shorts so I can carry stuff with me. Okay, gotcha. At first I was gonna say, why would you put shorts over your bike shorts? But I guess those have pockets in, in them and that might be something he's trained and convenient as long as that goes quickly, whatever. Um, I think it will be better than using transitions for early part of the run. Okay, we'll also carry some pH tablets in case I need. So right now it reads as though he's running with a bottle of water, a cliff bar, some gels, <laughs> and some pH tablets. That's a lot to carry. Again, for a half. 
Now, Iron Man, I know you want to have a lot with you and contingency and stuff like that, but this is a half. So I will guide him, advise him to maybe go a little bit lighter. Again, we're throwing a bit of caution to the wind on this, on this race. May carry two cliff bars in pocket just to make it easy to access. Oh my gosh, now, now we've added another cliff bar. <laughs> Back half of run, I'm sure I'll want some salty snacks from aid stations and drink water as needed. So he's maybe carrying all this for the front half of the run? Ooh. In Whistler, I hit a wall of hunger and thus will focus on keeping up nutrition in order to finish stronger. Agreed. But, you know, um, two cliff bars, that's 500. Um, some gels, let's say uh, uh, 600, 700. That's a lot of calories. I mean, for let's say even if it takes him a little bit under two hours, an hour and 50, it's still a lot of calories to be running with. He's not going to have 350 calories an hour while he's running. So I will modify that plan for him. Running, we want to keep the energy somewhat coming in. I agree, but it's also we're running and we're running at a high effort because it's a half marathon. And so um, we can't put too much in that stomach for stomach distress and um, all the blood going to the working muscles versus into the stomach and helping you digest these, this food. So I would actually will push him to keep it on the like 150, 125 calories an hour. So a total of maybe 200 to 250 for the entire run. Now you will say, well, that's way light. And um, yes, but this is how the day unfolds, right? Big breakfast, he had 1,000 calories. Now he's going to swim 33 minutes. He's going to work off that a lot of that breakfast in that swim. Not all of it. He'll still have some glycogen stores. But he's eating those three um, cliff bars on the bike, and he's getting in some pH calories, electrolytes. So he's not depleted. He's keeping the bathtub partially full. I would say three quarters full. So he can afford now on the back end of this race, of this event, of his endurance day, five, six hours to, you know, start stringing out the, the energy and the calories further, right? So we, he will go light. We want to run light on the back end there. Yes, it's not ideal, but he's going to be done. He can rebuild, replenish, refuel when he's done. So we want to extend out that energy that he has in his, in his body and his stores and so forth and not over ask to eat too much, risk any type of stomach issues and pull from the extra calories that we got in while exercising, while training, while working on the bike. So um, that will be my guidance there. Uh, my goal is to run is to come in just under two hours. Whistler was 218, Kona was 222, Austin was 236. Yeah, so he's moving in the right direction, getting faster and faster at every half Ironman. So yeah, it'd be great if he comes in under two. It's a flat course, and hopefully at the end of the season, we're going to risk it a little bit there too. So similarly here, I can see on his notes, based on the flatter course and improved fitness, this is a stretch goal, but doable. I'm not going... Um, not, I'm not going to focus on time as conditions will impact. I'm focusing on form, nutrition, hydration will give me the best results the body can give me, blah, blah, blah. Great approach. But still, we want some strategy in that run. Um, some markers to execute, to break up the run into effective, successful pieces. So my guidance to him there will be, as I'm looking at the run course here, um, I think it's two loops. Um, to break up the course so that we have 
again, I'm a big believer in taking what the course has given us and what our results, our race legs and the results so far have given us, absorbing that, putting that behind us, feeling good about that and saying, all right, now I have, in this case, six more miles to go. So I will advise him, let's focus on finishing that first loop at X or in this pace range, maybe even more aggressive again, because we're last race of the season. Let's find out what we're capable of and um, really try to find that extra layer or break on through to the other side of a new level of performance, right? So if he wants to go under two hours, right around two hours, he's going to have to tell him through that first half, six point, you know, six point oh five miles in no, no, excuse me, 6.55 miles whoa, in under an hour. Real simple. So there's your number, right? Let's focus on that first hour, right? Let's get ahead of that. Nothing dramatic, not a 52, right? But 57, 56 is great and in control and well hydrated and eating or getting in some calories, feeling light on our feet, good posture, form, nutrition, hydration, all that. And now we can really put all of our mental energy, our cognitive energy into the final loop, this last six miles, six and a half miles. Take that tailwind, take that momentum, take that confidence that we're on pace to break that two hours and go with it, right? We just broke it down into, I have one more hour to run. I have 30 more minutes to run. I have 40 more, right? So six more miles to run. And as the mile markers come through, doing the math, okay, you know, that's X, right? So that's exactly what we want to do. That's how you want to go about um, a run like this, or in general, even Ironman runs or 50k runs or 50 mile, break them into sections so that you can put that part of the race behind you and say, okay, the first 20, let's say if this is a 50 mile run, the first 20, I'm dead on my plan. I've executed my nutrition, my hydration, my pacing, my sensations, my body scans all correctly or all the way I had envisioned and planned. So now I can look only forward and focus on 30 miles versus the big picture of, tw uh, of 50 miles. So put that 20 behind us, feel good about it, in the bag, good, next. I'm focusing on the next 30. And so sometimes for events like that or athletes who struggle with this type of execution on their own, I'll write it out based off of that. Like saying, all right, now that once you pass the 20 mile marker and you've hit these four or five bullet points, um, now these are the next four bullet points or things you're going to focus on for the next 20 miles. And then we'll build in the contingency of saying, all right, well, out of the first 20 miles, we missed these two bullet points or we're a little bit behind on this bullet point. And so I'll write Okay, because if you're behind on calories here for the next 20 miles, let's focus on it like this. And of course, 20 miles on trail running, that's like, you know, that's four hours. <laughs> so it's nothing happening too suddenly. So you have time once again to catch up on a little calories, catch up on some hydration, catch up on pace. Maybe the course lays out differently, right? So again, back to the 70.3 here with him, complete the six miles, get your pace done, feel the right sensations, feel good about it. And even if not, guess what? 
you only have an hour to go. You only have six miles to go. If it's hurt a little bit so far and you're like, eh, I might be a little bit more tired than I thought I would be after 6.55 miles or six and a half miles for this race, so be it. I got six and a half more. I'm going to carry this momentum. I'm going to carry this pace. I'm going to carry this avatar of myself as far into the real estate of 13.1 miles as I can so I know for the future, hey, well, at least I held it till mile nine. Now I just got to focus on holding it for those last three miles, right? Again, always pulling a positive and seeing where our momentum and light and good vibes are like that's what fitness is like I said I was on a call today with an Ironman debrief uh, Arizona guy and I was like you know there is light through this tunnel it's just that we have to continue to figure out how we you personally need to just keep moving forward towards that light and and there's all kinds of distractions and there's all kinds of doubts and there's all kinds of confusion and there's all kinds of different training methods and Absolutely. But as you navigate your way through ultra endurance and endurance training and racing, because a lot of that helps validate your training and that you're on the right path, understand that you want to get further and further into the time or distance, depends on what we want to look at, time or distance, to, to maintain the pace and the effort and the, uh, the outcomes that you want. So that let's say you can say after this Ironman for this guy this morning, I can say, well, look at it. You did basically 85% of an Ironman the way you wanted to do it, right? Uh, okay swim, good bike, and, and solid run up until a certain point, right? And now, okay, then the wheels came apart. Now we'll look at the pacing for that. We'll look at some fueling for that. We'll look at the training for that. But, you know, you're 15%, you know, away from having the race that you've been focusing on having and desired of having. So let's continue to get closer, right? It might not happen at the next Ironman. Maybe you get to 92%, 93% of the distance. But that's a way of also seeing yourself get to the point. Now, your 100%, your desired outcome might shift and become faster or, you know, shorter time period. I get that. But then you still can work through to, let's say, in time. I want to do a six-hour half Ironman, right? Well, you did 6.13, but you were on pace for sub-six until five and a half hours in. Well, good. So we're getting close. So now if you create 5.45, we need to put that energy and speed and pacing into the new goal of 5.50 or 5.45 and compact that momentum and speed so that you're holding that for all 5.45, 5.50. In those cases, I say you need to hold it for, if your goal is 5.50, you got to hold it for 5.30. The last 20 minutes is on guts and glory. That's on you. That's not on fitness. That's in your mind. But again, so highlighting how that works. Overall, I plan to stay about the same as past swims to get through transitions in 33 to 36 minutes, start bike at a reasonable pace, and then push at the end to improve on the bike, but still want to have energy to knock out the run time down significantly. Awesome. That's a solid race plan, solid skeleton. But as you heard, we're going to go into some details here and work through it. So it was interesting to me yesterday in my cycling class, which is probably one of the last three I will be doing. 
um, because as of the new year, I am done with cycling classes. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I was noticing that one of my athletes was there quite early. And so I asked her, what, what was going on? You got there and you're already riding your bike. And she said um, that she woke at 7 or she went to bed at 7.20 and that she is now wide awake. And so I was like, well, good for you. You got a ton of sleep and hopefully you feel refreshed. And then during the cycling class, which is 90 minutes, where we do some pretty intense intervals in an indoor setting, so it's hot and stressful on the body and so forth, she was having a hard time getting going. And she said, or she felt as though she was lethargic, sleepy, tired, you know, and it brought about a lot of thoughts on my behalf as I was doing the intervals as well. I almost got a little mentally distracted because I was thinking of all the things I wanted to say, but I'd save them for this, for this conversation here. And that is, you know, there could be a variety of things going on there, but usually when we get a really good night's sleep, it's our body finally getting a chance to truly recover, exhale, take a breather. And yes, it does leave us lethargic for a day, for the next day, because it wants more of it. We're slowly creeping out of the fog. And in order to creep out of the fog, out of fatigue, out of this constant state of just go, 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 we have to go you know, from the inner turmoil through the fog to get to clarity. And when we're in it, we don't realize how tired we are, how run down we are, how exhausted we are, how stressed we are. Well, stress we sometimes can recognize. But overall, that brings up a totally different topic. And that is just when we become so fatigued, we miss the body's signals. So your ability to recognize when you're stressed means you're actually still doing okay because you're picking up on the signals. It's the people who no longer pick up on the signals, who no longer realize how tired or stressed or overwhelmed or chronically fatigued they are, not chronic fatigue, but chronically fatigued they are, that I would worry about. And so that's usually what happens. And what they usually say in with regards to sleep and recovery is that, you know, that the typical conversation of when you go on vacation and you set no alarm clock, how many days does it take for you to reset the pattern of your sleep habits of, you know, the first night you might only get six or seven hours because you're just not ready to let go or relax or your brain turns on. And then the second night you get seven hours and the third night, maybe seven and a half hours. The fourth night, maybe you move to eight hours. The fifth night, I know we're talking crazy luxury here, but the fifth night, it might have settled at eight hours or seven hours and 45 minutes and you feel refreshed and you're waking up without an alarm clock, right? That's what they say. Um, and then that way, you know what you technically need about seven and a half to eight hours because that's where the natural rhythm of your body wakes up. Now, I don't like it for endurance athletes and athletes in general because if we're on vacation, we're usually not doing the activity or the training that we usually do at home. And so therefore, our fatigue levels are different and our sleep patterns and needs and recovery needs are different. So I am a big proponent of sleep huge proponent of sleep. I get my eight hours almost religiously. Every night before I go to sleep, I quickly look at the clock so I can do the math and won't get up or out of bed the next day until about eight hours. Now, of course, there's plenty of situations where I do need to get up a little bit earlier. 
or with seven hours of sleep, but rarely less than seven. And I would say of the seven nights a week, I get in eight, five of them. So, but that brings me to this whole part of our ability and the fog and what I, I talked about in the, with what I was thinking about in the class with this athlete of mine, right? And that she was saying afterwards, like, well, I don't clearly do, that was too much sleep. Look at me. I don't need this much sleep. Now I'm foggy and lethargic all day. And I had bad performance in class and, you know, sort of talking herself out of actually needing sleep. And what I want to remind people of is mental toughness isn't just about being more gritty than the other athletes or tougher and, and in a physical way than other athletes. It's about taking care of yourself between bouts, between sessions, between training. And help helps you become way more mentally tougher or what I would call resilient right? And many overlook that. The resilience that you get from sleep and the patience and the cognitive abilities and all that, the benefits way outweigh the extra 30 minutes or 45 minutes of training that you can do um, that evening or that Netflix show that you're going to watch that extra episode or the work you're doing late at night. I mean, typically your body is falling asleep as you're reading in bed so that it sort of can go into its slumber naturally. And so that's the other flip side, the other side of mental toughness that so many overlook, right? The life of being an athlete is pretty, uh, being an endurance athlete is, pre is pretty grueling. We all know this. Between the early morning workouts, um, the races, our career, our family needs, our community needs, and a season that stretches almost the entire year, we put a lot of energy into our day via athletics, via work, via family, via children, via household, via coaching community, via church, whatever it is, it's a lot of energy. And as a result of all those different physical stresses from workouts to meetings to projects due to um, getting the Christmas tree up to the weekends. I mean, it's not like you're relaxing and laying around on a couch all weekend, right? It, they're all competing interests of our time. We have, we have work, we have swim practice, we have biking, we have running, we have um, family commitments, all the things that I just uh, listed. Also stressing about uh, how we eat and you know our social life and meeting with friends and fe feeling guilty that we're not joining that party or that dinner or that get, or get together. Our schedule has be become so taxing in this entire process. And there's not a week that goes by where my athletes don't send me a note in some way or fashion that they're exhausted. They're just exhausted. There's days where they're overwhelmed. I went to bed last night. I know here I am talking about eight hours of sleep, but I did go to bed last night. Not to bed, what was it? Um, about an, 45 minutes before bed, my, my daughter was doing her homework, totally quiet. My son had just gone to sleep. I just, you know, we read a, um, a book every night. Um, not a full book, a couple pages out of a longer book. Currently we're on... 
Where the Red Fern Grows, which is one of my favorite books. <laughs> so I'm making him listen to me read it to him. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but I finally um, took a shower from my workouts of that afternoon and then sat down. And then I was like, gosh, I'm exhausted. I didn't realize how exhausted I was because as you all know, you go, go, go all day. And that has nothing to do with family. It has to do with just all of you that even don't have a family. It's just with work and other commitments and getting places. And, you know, there's everybody has a busy life. There is no busier than others, right? You Just because you have three children and you do endurance sports and you work and have to run a household doesn't mean it's more busy than the, the, the person that doesn't have kids but has more project and stays at work longer and has other responsibilities and also has to get in the workouts. And it's just, the load is very similar, right? We apply our energy differently with our different responsibilities, but we're all still exhausted. And this was that case where I just went, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize it. Back to the fog of fatigue all day, not go, go, go. My pace isn't that heavy. I have it pretty good. But again, not noticing I was more tired than I thought I was, right? And I even had noticed towards Emily earlier that I was like, yeah, you seem pretty tired today. You know, we have a new puppy. And so she's been up with the puppy and taking care of it and stuff like that. And yeah, she's been lacking continuous good sleep and so therefore, I was commenting to her, yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. You're pretty tired, it looks like, and so forth. So we we're just having a conversation around that. At no point thinking that I was tired because <laughs> it was in the process of me making dinner for the kids. And, and I had her um, um, join us for dinner. And so anyway, the point here is that I was in a fog of dinner, of fatigue of dinner as well. And I didn't notice it either. And so, unfortunately, sleep is the first thing we usually cut out when we're overloaded with a variety of different responsibilities, whether it's work, family, and so forth. And we think that five or six hours of sleep is okay because over time, we somewhat get used to it. We get used to the fog of fatigue. We get used to the performance of those workouts um, at that level where we're missing the two hours of sleep or the extra 90 minutes of sleep consistently. And we think that performance is the normal. We think running those paces, holding those watts, getting that fatigue from the training is normal where it shouldn't be if we got those extra two hours of sleep or if we continuously got the recovery and sleep and recharge, rebuild, um, rejuvenation that we need to get in order to have the adaptations that I believe in many cases I see you are capable of as the athlete. But because that has become our new normal, the fog of fatigue, we think we're doing okay. And it's not until, like for example, right now, I have an athlete who said, man, I feel so good. Yes, it's taper. We're doing less, you're getting more sleep. She even said, I'm purposely getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night and I feel really good and my paces are coming up and my wattages is coming up. And I'm like, yeah. 
A, of course, it's a little bit of taper, but I count that more to doing less and getting more sleep and coming out of the fog of fatigue, right? And I've told you, and you've heard, and you've read, and you've seen, and you intuitively know how important sleep is, right? And so that's why I also count as resilience and discipline and priorities and mental toughness. That is your ability to go to bed, right? And, and, but many associate it with, well, I show up to workouts despite being that tired. And that's not um, as much mental toughness as it is your ability to recognize for yourself, this is what I need. And despite other inputs and other interests and other um, curiosities and other priorities, and not priorities that you, you can't skip, but priorities that you can skip, instead going to sleep. Mental toughness is the ability to withstand stress. That's basically the definition. But in order to withstand stress, you need the mental toughness to, to recover and sleep. The approach we often take when it comes to toughening up usually against, goes against how mental toughness actually works. We go all out, all the time never giving our chances, giving ourselves a chance to recover and rejuvenate. And we treat our body like crap, right? By continuously stressing it, fatiguing it, and leaving it in a fatigued state like that, right? The reason I like the word five alarm dumpster or the grouping of the wording five alarm dumpster fire is because you basically throw your body into that dumpster and treat it like crap. Right? You never let it get out of there. You never allow yourself to properly bounce back. And the sneaky reality of mental toughness is that, is that recovery and that recharge and that rebuild. It's looking after ourselves physically and mentally so that we can be that fresh person again, to be on top of our game, to be actually more resilient and tougher for the moments where we need it most for the training, not just to get to training, not just to wake up. Because the problem too is that when we are that tired, what's really interesting is, is we, we, we lack the motivation to do the intervals as we're supposed to. We're just happy we're showing up, right? And then it turns into this self-talk of like, I'm just going to go steady today. I'll keep good form, good focus, good technique, but I'm just going to keep the effort steady not tax myself too much. Well, you might as well be training in zone three in the gray zone. If there's no specificity to your training, if there's no deliberate outcome, deliberate growth, deliberate purpose, as they say, purposeful training, then why do it? Then you are better off going, staying asleep, not just going through the motions. But again, when you're that tired, you use your mental toughness to get there, to wake up, to show up. So, you know, a lot of you have already shown a lot of resilience in your athletic life. That's why you're listening to this. That's why you're endurance and ultra endurance athletes. There's no arguing that point. But there is a, for many of us, because we all went pro in something other than the sport, right? And there's already so much we're juggling, 
allow yourself to develop a better approach to mental toughness. And that is this um, different perspective, the fog of fatigue, getting through that fog of fatigue. And mental toughness from that angle is not something that is static or even genetic when it comes to, well, some people just have that ability. It's a skill. It's something that we can grow, we can get better at, if we pay a little bit more attention to it. And, you know, one of the easiest and quite honestly, most enjoyable ways to get yourself some more, more mental toughness from this perspective is sleep. That's the beauty. Right? Think back to when you were in college or you did stuff. I mean, I don't know um, how many of you were athletes in college, but those of you that were, when you studied for an all-nighter, how did those workouts go? How, did, how does the training now go when you're a couple nights into a project or late nights, early mornings, or you um, have a newborn and you're not getting your sleep and all that? It's back to what I was talking about. You're back to going through the motions, not really quality workouts. That's the first level. And then you're finally so exhausted that you're just a zombie and you're truly not even going through the motions. You're just sort of there. And you don't even really remember the workout and afterwards if you go. If not, you might just blow it off, skip through it, or do something different. Right? That's what lack of sleep will do to, do to you. But just think of it this way. That fog of fatigue, right? Sleep deprivation, that continuous where I'm saying six hours instead of seven and a half, causes things to feel way harder than they should. When we experience that sleeplessness the next day, our rate of perceived exertion goes up. Even just one night of bad sleep, meaning just not enough sleep. I'm not even saying bad sleep that you're up all night. I'm talking about you know, five to six hours, like some people claim they need, means that the planned workouts often feel harder than they need to. And this is still early in the process, right? Before the fog of fatigue sets in, because we're still sensing that this workout is harder than it should be. But it's also a lot of the emails back to me where I get the should this feel so hard or why can't I achieve this or the workouts or the intervals you gave me are too hard? Why do you think I can do those, right? Because based off the numbers and based off the testing, based off your history and based off how you're raced and based off how you when are when you're rested and tapered, those are the numbers I see that you should be able to crank that up at any point in time. Not for long periods, but for shorter periods. For example, if I ask you to run at half marathon pace in the middle of a long run, you should be able to dial up for two, three, four, five, six minutes that pace, what you usually can hold for 90 to 100 to 120 minutes. So something's not right there if you're struggling with that. That's a good example of you know, it feeling harder than it needs to. Sleep deprivation causes our ability to pay attention also to, to plummet. Ever, get, ever notice how it gets harder to focus when you're tired? Again, you're in that fog of fatigue. Things like the interval, the breathing pattern, or even um, 
keeping a, a, a count of how many reps you've done or what interval this is, if it's the third one, the fourth one, or the seventh one, all sort of just sort of, what, where am I, huh? Sleep deprivation, your ability to pay attention. Of course, we get more sick, more sick, more frequently, sick more frequently when we don't get enough sleep, when we're in that fog of fatigue. It's not surprising, right? When we subject ourselves to sleep loss, we put our bodies at risk. Our immune system is compromised. We all know this. It's consistently shown that, that there's a connection between poor sleep and bad health, right? When we're overly stressed and we're burning the candle, like the whole concept, burning the candle at both ends, right? Makes us prone to sickness. That's exactly that. You're not getting enough sleep to recover, but you're maintaining the stress loads on one end. So now you've created a stress on the other end by not getting enough sleep. You're still in active mode versus recovery mode. And like we've been saying, lack of sleep makes us less tough, right? I mean, we already know this by what we're describing here. So what can we do, right? I mean, we, I'm, I've explained enough here <laughs> on why I felt that athlete was that groggy that morning from the extra sleep she got in order to have a lack of performance, right? And like I was alluding to earlier, getting more sleep usually means you have to cut corners elsewhere. You have to make things a priority in your life, right? You're going to have to sort of look at that next next Netflix series. You're going to have to think about your routine at night. You're going to have to think about um, a schedule, right? And we're not just a sleep schedule, but sort of more your schedule. And I talk about this with a lot of athletes and potential athletes, and hopefully enough on this podcast. And that is put your priorities clearly into a few buckets every day. And choose a few times every day to refocus yourself and make sure you're working on the things that are in your bucket. Free up some more time. Does this fit in my work or professional life bucket? If yes, good. Now, and then you might have some other buckets within that professional life bucket, right? Um, does this fit into the, one of my three life buckets? That is work, family, and in this case, my goals with regards to my athletic life. Maybe you have another bucket of community slash church or another bucket of, I, I don't know. But if you can narrow down your days and your hours and your minutes into the buckets and keep the priorities specific, even if you lack the sleep or even if something comes up, you feel good because it fits into the priorities and the buckets of your life. And so therefore, if that workout has to be compromised, skipped, shortened, it's because of work or family or community. That's fine. But if that workout's being skipped or you're sleeping in in the morning because you watched another episode of, you know, blackish, well, that's sort of not really fitting into the bucket, right? It's tempting. Oh, just one more episode. I'm chilling here. Go to bed. Get some sleep. Right? And same thing with a variety of other things in our day. 
And of course, there's social life and there's different things and now there's holiday parties and so forth, right? But there's an opportunity to say, all right, well, tonight I'm going to compromise on my sleep because I have a holiday party and it's important to me and social life and community and family. It fits somewhat in those buckets. It's just that time of year. So I will only get six hours, five and a half hours of sleep tonight, maybe, because I got to work out in the morning and it's the only morning of the week I can swim because the pool is open. And so what do I do? What do I do is I then clear out my schedule for the following night so that I can go to bed earlier and get those eight hours of sleep. So it only costs me one night. And even then, when the body has an opportunity after one bad night, bad nights of sleep to catch up to and reset, rebalance. It is way less stress and fatigue on the body than if you did it for another three, four, five nights. Again, figuring that out and making it a priority to you because I can't say enough. Once you come out of the fog of fatigue, you'd be surprised how much you lived in it how much you missed because of it, the quality of your life because of it, the quality of your relationships because of it, the quality of your patience and your creativity and your observance and your joy, all that. You wonder what you were thinking. And yes, it takes a while. It takes training to get yourself on a better sleep and recovery cycle. And that might mean a truly a sleep schedule. Putting it and writing it out, having a success rate, 80%, 90% success rate, get in some naps, right? If, if naps do make a difference. I mean, okay, I, I realize <laughs> we're not all getting in naps, you know, a 90 minute nap in the middle of the day. That surely would be nice. But there's value to that. For those few of you that actually can fit that in, it makes a huge difference. I mean, you know, ask some of the biggest CEOs and corporate executives in the world what they do in the middle of the day. They take a nap and they read a book and they shut their bodies down and allow their bodies to recover and their brain to recover and to recharge. But anyway, that's not for us in all aspects. But until you get into a better sleep cycle, maybe naps or a schedule or that type of um, measurable result is something you need. But yeah, the fog of fatigue and many, many, many don't realize it. And that's something that at this time of year where the training is a little bit lighter, when we're just going to the gym and doing some core work or some strength work and we're lightening up on the exercise load, the days are shorter, right? And it allows that sleepy cycle to settle in earlier, as well as that we're doing some consistent training, but the volume is dialed back. And maybe now is when we start making intentions and focus and changing ever so small habits to get more sleep and avoid the fog of fatigue. Because the more you go into it, the further and deeper the fog gets. And then you kick out on the other side or inside this fog and it's like a hurricane. There's an eye of the storm there, right? And it's sunny there. And it feels like nice weather, just like a hurricane, eye of the storm. And you're like, oh, this is sustainable right here. 
<laughs> but we all know it isn't because swirling around you is one heck of a Cat 5 hurricane. And it's, it's moving. It's just a question of time before you're back into the storm. And so we think we're doing okay with those workouts, like I said earlier. We think we're doing okay with less sleep. We think we're juggling it all, but it will come crashing down. Sickness, injury, lack of focus, lack of effectiveness with regards to work and family relationships and so forth. And of course, performance in something that you are choosing to do. Once again, you're choosing to unleash and explore and va validate your potential. That's why most of you are doing this stuff. You want, you're curious to find out what you're capable of, but yet you're not setting yourself up to finding out what you're capable of as the current you because you're operating at 65% due to the fog of fatigue. Think about it. Think about it. All right, that'll be it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Weekly Word Podcast. As I was saying earlier, it means a lot to me that you're willing to spend a little bit of time, well, a lot of time since my podcasts are not short, um, listening to me and the tidbits I'm hopefully um, giving you that have value and meaning towards your training, towards your interest in this endurance lifestyle, towards your next ultra event, towards any adventure that you're looking to take on. And uh, yeah, a few things. Remember, if you can, sign up for the newsletter. Um, I try to put some content and thought and extra information in there that hopefully you all enjoy and find value in. I only send that out once a month. And um, yeah, that'd be great. Um, why numbers or why do I want you to sign up for the newsletter? The newsletter is a great way for me to work on more sponsors for this podcast and for the newsletter so that I can, there's a variety of discounts in there and um, benefits. And that's why if we can build a bigger community with this podcast and that newsletter, the more discounts and um, sponsor aspects I can pass on to you. So that's my intention. I continue to want to keep this podcast without any type of advertising or promotion and just talk about the nitty gritty of what this endurance lifestyle requires and how we can make it easier to navigate and how you can be more successful in it. Um, I just actually had a conversation with an athlete and it was about motivation and goals for 2019. And so, I mean, all this, it all ties in to how we try to keep some sort of steady balance. Um, yeah, with, with what we're doing here, with many hours of training, a lot of thought, a lot of sacrifice that you put into it. Also, please remember, um, and I note, noted this in the past newsletter, this is another reason why the newsletter works out pretty well. Um, my Spring Sonoma Training Camp, which is open to all, um, is April 3rd through the 7th. So that's up in Sonoma. We basically do a lot of work on the Ironman Santa Rosa course. Doesn't mean you need to be doing Ironman Santa Rosa or Santa Rosa 70.3. It's just um, a beautiful countryside to train in. We swim in Lake Sonoma and we swim in a great outdoor pool that I do a lot of coaching and swimming in myself. We do uh, plenty of cycling in 
Western Marin and Sonoma County. And we do some great trail running up by Lake Sonoma and near Hillsburg, as well as down here in Marin. And we have some fun dinners and we have a lot of good conversation, nutrition insights, all kinds of fun stuff that in those three, four, five days. Join for two days, join for five days, join for um, all of it, hopefully. And there's bike testing included, there's massage included, there is meals are included. It's one big inclusive package. So, but yeah, more details can be found soon on the website, aimcoaching.com, but also um, is always updated in that newsletter that I talk about. All right, and then I do not have a cycling jersey update yet. I'm getting some really cool design ideas, but um, as soon as I know something, I will share it. So have a great week, everybody. Again, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it and all of you. And yeah, have a great week.